Wow. Well, it is, a, it is an absolute privilege and honor to be here. And uh, I am a little bit disappointed. I'm one day away from coming in in the post-mask celebration. I missed it. But uh, what a joy. And worship team, thank you for leading us so well. I, can't, I don't know where you're sitting, but thank you. That was just absolutely wonderful. I remember uh, the days when we were humming behind our mask. And I'm glad we've moved past that. It's just a real joy. So I hope, you, hope you'll turn in your Bibles with me now to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. And as you do that, I want to share a story of uh, what was a real transformative moment for me in my life. And perhaps some of you shared this moment. It may not have been as transformative, but it was 2019. And the Toronto Raptors were in the Eastern Conference semifinals playing against the Philadelphia 76ers. And it was game seven. And some of you watched this game. And there were five seconds left and the game was tied. And our best player, Kawhi Leonard, had the ball. And he was being defended by perhaps the best defender in the NBA. And he did this ridiculous fadeaway shot and the ball flew up into the air and it, it bounced off the rim. And at this point, this stadium filled with tens of thousands of people drops to a deadly hush. And the ball bounces once and then it bounces twice and it bounces three times. And you can hear a pin drop, not just in the stadium, but perhaps in the country. We're all holding our breath watching this shot. And then it it falls through the hoop, and that silence turns into this roar, and we're all so excited. We're hugging strangers. That was when we were allowed to hug strangers. We were, and it, it was this collectively enraptured moment. We were just so excited, and that was a transformative moment for me, and it wasn't because of basketball, as much as I love basketball. What struck me in that moment was how how I had this longing in my heart to be a part of a collective, enraptured moment. I have this longing in my heart to come together with people and to, to wonder at something. And we were wondering together that day at what was a cheap counterfeit, to be sure. You know, a, a basketball game, a shot. But, but together, it felt so right to be looking together and delighting. Now, some of you, it's not basketball. Maybe you have a memory of a concert that you went to and you saw this great band and and there's just that feeling of being with the, the whole congregation and the whole audience and, and just being overwhelmed. Maybe it was a movie, one of those movies that was so good that you all clapped afterwards, even though nobody could hear you clap, but you did it because it was just so amazing. There's something inside of us that longs for those moments. And I was so struck by that day. Part of me was filled with joy because I was looking forward to what's waiting for us. But part of me was filled with sorrow because those moments are so few and far between in this life. And those moments are what we were made for. We were made to worship. In fact, we were made to worship together. That's what God's word teaches us. But we weren't made to worship basketball or sports or all the other counterfeits that we give our attention to. We were made to worship the Lord. And so we're looking to Psalm 150 today. And Psalm 150 presents us with this great call to worship. And Rob, my introduction explains what a call to worship is, but Pastor Rob's already done that, which is great. That's going to save some time. But this call to worship, God has put these calls in his word because we have hearts that are prone to wander, right? Because gratitude and awe are not our mother tongue. Uh, We're more more prone to grumble. And so we bring our, our grumbling, weary hearts together, and God's word calls us to lift our eyes and to behold his glory and his wonder. And calls us to respond to what we see. Psalm 150 is the very last psalm in the book of Psalms. And this book is the Holy Spirit-inspired hymnal of the church. 
So here we're coming to the 150th Psalm. This is the resounding conclusion of this worship hymnal. And in this conclusion, we find a crescendo of praise. It is, it's actually partnered together with the final five Psalms in the book of Psalms. Does anybody know what those are called? They're called the Hallelujah Psalms. Hallelujah means praise Him, praise God. So these are the praise God Psalms. So what we're looking at today is really the fifth verse of the final song in the Holy Spirit-inspired hymnal of the church. It's a crescendo of praise. We're going to read it now. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Oh, praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And here we have this resounding call to worship. The psalmist is inviting us to join our voices and join our lives into the song that we were made to sing. So we're going to consider this sweet and simple call to worship. And and today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I told the team, normally I would preach for 45 minutes, right? Because we read the text and then we explain the text and we apply the text. Well, we've read the text already. And there's not an awful lot of explaining that needs to be done. It is a call to worship. But it's the application of this text, the response to this text, that's going to resound for all eternity. And so it's going to be a much shorter sermon. We're we're talking like a 25-minute sermon. Rob said, I'll believe it when I see it. I said, Pastor Rob, I promise. I promise. We will see. I'll believe it when I see it too. But we're going to walk through this call to worship, and we're going to respond to what we see. The first thing that we find in this call to worship, the psalmist calls us to praise him everywhere. Look at verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary and praise him in his mighty heavens. He calls us to praise him here in the sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. And in this parallelism, he's, he's encompassing all of creation. He's saying we, we need to praise him everywhere. First of all, praise him in his sanctuary. Now, I believe you worked through the book of Leviticus as well just recently. Yes, nodding your heads. We worked through this at Redeemer. I think we did this together. And as we worked through Leviticus, we saw uh, how sweet it was that God's glory was manifest in the tabernacle. That God came and dwelt with his people. And we heard about the pilgrimages and how they would come together to worship in the house of the Lord. And once they had been established in the land, the tabernacle was no more. And they built the temple and God's presence dwelt there. And God's people came from far and wide to worship together in the house of the Lord. And we've adopted that Old Testament language, and we call this room right here the sanctuary, as we gather together as God's people to worship him. The psalmist says, praise him here. Praise him in the sanctuary, which is what we're doing. But the praise isn't reserved for the sanctuary, is it? He goes a step further, and he says, and praise him in his mighty heavens, which is... Really an astounding verse. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking to when he says, praise him in his mighty heavens? Well, the psalmist is, he's calling out to the angels, isn't he? Inviting them to join with us in our worship of our great God. Which takes a bit of of chutzpah, 
right? To, to call out to the angels and say, and, and you, join your voices with us and praise our great God. And yet that's what he's doing. Isn't that amazing? Just think about that. When we lift up our feeble voices together in worship, for some of us, our out-of-tune voices, you know, the, the best that we can muster, as we lift it up, it is intertwined with the mighty bellows of the angelic hosts in heaven, praising God. The psalmist is inviting the angels to join in this song. And in case you think that's a, a bit too mystical, a bit too foreign, I want you to know that you do this too. Maybe you don't know that you do this. Let me tell you, you do this. We sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You sing that here. Praise him, all creatures here below. And that's us praising him in the sanctuary. But then we sing. And praise him above ye heavenly host. Who are we singing to? In that song, we are inviting the heavenly host to join with us to give God glory. Now, do we have authority over the angels to do this? The only authority that we have is the fact that God is infinitely worthy. And he's worthy of the praise of the heavenly host. So we can say, as mere mortals, praise him. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in his heavenly host. I love what one commentator says. He says, his glory fills the universe. His praise must do no less. Amen. Praise him here. Praise him there. Praise him everywhere. May gratitude and adoration resound in every realm because he deserves it. That's the next thing we see in this call to worship. Next, he says, praise him for everything. Praise him for everything. Look at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The psalmist says, praise him for what he does. And praise him for who he is. Because the two are connected. They're forever connected. You know that? God does what he does because he is who he is. God delivered his people out of Egypt because he's the deliverer. He rescued his people from Pharaoh's army because he is the rescuer. He purifies and sanctifies his people because he is a consuming fire. He is opposed to everything that is evil and wrong and sinful because he is holy, holy, holy. And yet he has mercy for us as sinful people because he is love. He's near to the brokenhearted because he's the God of all comfort. He is our source of refuge because he's the rock of ages. He, he rules with justice and equity because he's the perfect king. He casts out the darkness because he is light. And we praise him for who he is and for what he has done. We praise him for everything. There's not a creature on this planet that can draw a single breath into their lungs apart from the mercy of our God. John Calvin captures this so well. He says, until men really apprehend, really apprehend, how much they owe to the mercy of God, they will never, with a right feeling, worship him, nor be effectually stimulated to fear and obey him. Isn't that true? Until we, until we really apprehend who he is and what he has done, we will never give him what he deserves, which I think poses a question this morning. Do you apprehend today what he has done for you? And I would imagine in a room this size that some of you don't. Some of you are visiting with a friend. Um, you, just, you find yourself wandering through the doors. And you have never considered who God is 
And you've never considered the fact that he deserves your praise. He deserves your life. Some of you, on the other hand, have been here for a long time, and you've walked in and out of the doors week after week, perhaps for years. But some of you have never really apprehended the praise that he deserves. Do you see him today, church? Do you behold the glory of God? Do you understand the mercy that he has shown to us? Think back to who you were before Christ came into your life and opened your eyes. Think back to to who we were when we were living in our sin and we were rebels to God. And reflect on the fact that our holy, holy, holy God, our perfect, unblemished God, who cannot be in the presence of sin, saw us. He saw me. He saw you in your sin, in your rebellion. And rather than crushing us like bugs or, or casting us away from his presence, he picked us up out of the mud. He washed us clean with the blood of his own son. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would have life and life everlasting. That he saw us in our sin and he loved us. Some of us today, we have been worshiping counterfeits, like that Kawhi Leonard story. Some of us have been living our lives pursuing these cheap counterfeits, trying to satisfy this longing in our hearts with things that never satisfy us. Worshipping our sports, worshipping our money, living for our vacation, living for the weekend. And we come out of each and every one of those cheap substitutes and we feel this deep sadness in our souls because it wasn't what we needed. And God sees us and in his mercy, he opens our eyes and he says, I am what you need. I made you to live with me. I made you to delight in me. I made you to love and to be loved by me. I made you to be caught up together with these people in worship and awe and wonder and delight. This is what you were made for. And the psalmist is calling out to us and he's saying, praise him for what he does. Praise him for who he is. Praise him because he saw you in your sin and he saved you. Praise him because even though he is holy, 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 he is also merciful and tender and loving. And the two have come together at the cross of Christ. Your sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Your sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. So praise the Lord. Praise him. Praise him for everything. Praise him, praise him, praise him because of who he is, because of what he's done, because he's infinitely worthy. Praise him. That's what this text is calling for. And as you do that, the next thing that he calls us to in this call to worship, he says, praise him with everything. Muster everything that you can muster in your worship of our great God. Look with me to verses 3 to 5. He says, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Here the psalmist is calling us to use whatever we can lay our hands on in worship of our great God. Music. There is something something sacred about it, isn't there? And you don't need to have a relationship with our great God. You don't need to have ever read the Bible to understand that there is something about music. You can go to any culture in the world. It is a gift. It's a gift from God for us that we are to turn back in praise 
to him. I love this quote from Martin Luther. Before I read it, he comes across a little bit bristly in this quote. Bear in mind, he spent a lot of his life running away from people trying to kill him. So he's entitled to sometimes sound a little bit sharp. But here's what he says. It's such a great quote. He says, I have no use for cranks who despise music. That's the bristly piece. No use for them. Because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people gay. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not exchange what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governance of the feelings of the human heart. Next to the word of God, nothing affects us the way that music does. Now, unfortunately, it's not uncommon to hear complaints and even suspicions about music. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people just say things like, I don't know about music. You know, sometimes music, it feels manipulative. It's like they're trying to make us feel something. To which I say, yeah. <laughs> That's like saying, I don't know about the sun. It melts the snow and makes my, warm, my arm feel all warm and tingly. It's like, what? Yeah, that's what it's for. What do you think music is for if not to make us feel things? If we didn't want to feel it, we would just say it rather than sing it. Many Christians worship as if it is their goal to get through the theological treaties of the song without succumbing to a single feeling. And that is so unbiblical and wrong. God knows that we feel. He made us this way and he gave us music to give voice to that, to, to interact with that. He made us this way. Praise God that the worship wars seem to be behind us. It's fascinating that we spent so many years fighting about which instruments can or cannot be included in the service when the clear testimony of Psalm 150 is that we ought to use all of them and more. Look at, this is from the Bible, right? This is from God's word. Let's look. He says, praise him with what? With trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp. I don't know what a lute is, but let's get it in here. Praise him with the tambourine. Wait. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. That's God's word. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. And in case we missed it, he leans in. Praise him with loud, crashing cymbals. This is what God's word is calling us to. Here's the Holy Spirit-inspired worship service. It sounds like they should be handing out earplugs as we come in the door. Praise him with everything. Praise him with everything. People should come away from our corporate worship saying, what did I just witness? Let's go back to Kawhi Leonard. I'm going to do this a few times. Let's go back to that game. There were people in that stadium who didn't like basketball. There were vendors and tellers. Not tellers. It wasn't a bank. There were vendors. There were people... You know, some of them came with guests and they're watching this game. They don't care about basketball. But in that moment when the room went dead silent and then when everyone erupted and there's hugging and there's shouting and there's a celebration unlike, unlike nothing they'd ever seen in that building, nobody walked away from that saying, eh, basketball. Now, they may not be fans of the Toronto Raptors, but everybody walked away saying, I just witnessed something. 
I don't know what it was, but I witnessed something. Oh, that people would leave our corporate worship gatherings here and at Redeemer and at Emmanuel and at every church across the city. Oh, that they would leave our worship gatherings saying, I may not know what I just saw, but I just witnessed something. Those people saw something today. Those people were moved by something today. Everybody around me, everybody in front of me, everybody behind me, they saw something today and they responded to something today and I want that something today. That's what should happen in our corporate worship. Now, I'm not saying it always needs to be happy, clappy, loosey-goosey. There's room for reverence and awe and wonder. Right now at Redeemer, we're preaching through the Psalms of Lament. This feels like a real shift for me um, from what we've been preaching through. And there's room for that in the, in the corporate worship. But whether we're responding with reverence and awe or joy and delight, and all of it's here in the Holy Spirit-inspired hymnal of the church, let's respond with all that we have. If we can't muster up the instruments, let's, let's ask God by, the, by his grace that he would give us the enthusiasm that we see here. William Plumer notes, the righteous set no bounds to their praise of the Most High. Amen. Finally, as we praise God everywhere, and as we praise him for everything, and as we praise him with everything, the text concludes by broadening the scope of this glorious call to worship. He declares, praise him, everyone. Praise him, everyone. The book of Psalms ends with this verse. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything that has breath. So we're here and we're worshiping here in this sanctuary, right? Because this call to worship is for us. And yet this call to worship extends beyond us, doesn't it? It extends beyond the walls of this sanctuary. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let your neighbor, your neighbor who is miserable to you, your neighbor who cuts the grass and stops right at your property line when it would take him five minutes to go a step further, your neighbor who never wants to hear the gospel, let him praise the Lord. God deserves his praise. Let your in-laws praise the Lord. Your in-laws who make that face every single time you mention anything about the Lord, let them praise the Lord. Let your co-workers praise the Lord. Let the kings and the prime ministers and the presidents praise the Lord. Let the people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, let them praise the Lord. Everything that has breath. See, this call to worship is simultaneously a call to mission, isn't it? A call to evangelism. John Piper has this famous quote. You probably know it. It's worth memorizing. John, P John Piper famously says, Missions exists because worship doesn't. We go into the world, and we go to our neighbor, and we go to our coworker, and we go across the, the ocean. Missions exist because Psalm 150, verse 6, isn't happening yet. Everything that has breath is not yet praising the Lord. And yet God is worthy of praise from everyone. And so we go. This psalm properly understood, this longing in our hearts for this collective response to our great God, properly understood, should propel us into the world. I will tell you this. I am convinced by the word of God that you will never find a church that is passionate about missions who isn't first passionate about worship. 
You'll never find a church passionate about missions that isn't first passionate about worship. You know why? People who come to church twice a month when it's convenient and who, who stand with their hands in their pockets and who grimace and frown while we respond to God in song and who sit there fiddling with their fingers, thinking about sports and sitcoms while the word of God is preached, those people will never change the world. Do you know why? They don't want to change the world. They don't care. They're not giving God their worship, so why would they invite their neighbor to give God worship? You will never find a church that's passionate about missions who is not first passionate about worship. So we take the pulse in here, don't we? As we come together as God's people, as we respond together, you can get a real pulse of the health and vitality of the church. How are our hearts? Are we seeing what we ought to see? Are we understanding? Is God, by the power of his spirit, pressing that deep into our hearts? Is it coming out of us? Because if it's not coming out of us here, why would it come out of us there? Let everything, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And can I tell you, that day will come. That day will come. And what a day it will be. We catch just a slight glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 7. The Apostle John sees this glimpse and he shares it with us. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels, see here's the heavenly host, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And that is the scene that you were made for. That is the song that you were made to sing, church. That is the longing in your heart that perhaps you never even knew it was there. But it's there. And you catch a glimpse of it when you stand in awe and wonder and you stare out at the Grand Canyon and you feel how small you are. And in that moment, you're not upset that you're small. You marvel at the fact that you're beholding something that is beyond your comprehension and that it's just a sliver, it's just a foretaste of what you were made to enjoy as you behold your great God, not by yourself, but with your people, with all of your brothers and sisters in Christ from across the nations, with the angelic hosts all proclaiming, God, you are so great and you are so worthy of praise. And until that day, church, let the world catch a foretaste of that moment when they gather together with us here. Let them walk away with just just a taste, just something that prompts that longing in their hearts that they would walk away and say, something happened in that place. They have seen something. Have we seen something, church? So we're going to praise him today because this is what we were made for. We're going to praise him today because this is what we were saved for. 
we will praise him because this is the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up to the stage now with me. I want to invite you to stand now with me. And together we're going to read this call to worship from Psalm 150. We're going to lift our voices and we're going to make music on our instruments and we're going to make his praise glorious in this city. Let's say this call to worship together. Is it up there? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary and praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, great God, we bow before you today. We lift our hands, Lord. We just declare that you are great and greatly to be praised. And Lord, we confess that we are a people with hearts that are prone to wander. Even in this moment, God, we confess that our hearts are, are gravitating towards all kinds of lesser things that don't deserve our praise. God, so we ask for the help of your spirit right now that you would help us to see what we ought to see. God, I pray that you would forgive us and we thank you that there's forgiveness in Christ that sometimes the gospel can grow cold in our hearts. Lord, that sometimes we can lose the awe and the wonder that Jesus Christ died for our sins. God, I pray that you would press that deep into us, that we have 10,000 plus reasons to worship you today. God, I pray that you would stir up in us an evangelistic zeal because you deserve the praise of my neighbor. Lord, you deserve the praise of our coworkers. You deserve the praise of our in-laws. You deserve the praise of this city, every man and woman and boy and girl. You deserve it, God, and it's our desire that you would receive it. And so, Lord, would we give our lives to this pursuit that you would be praised, God, in our city, that you would be praised here in the sanctuary, that you'd be praised in the highest heaven, God, that you'd be praised not just with our mouths but with our lives of obedience, God, that you'd be praised in our seasons of lament and grieving, God. That you'd, be see, that you'd be praised when we're rejoicing and on top of the world. God, that in every season, every voice from every tribe and every tongue would declare that you are infinitely worthy of our praise. You are so good, God. You are so good. Help us to see. So God, we respond to you today. I pray that you would just turn our hearts and our, our attention and our focus to you, our great God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Pray. 